The sponsor of our show today is CNE Wildlife. CNE Wildlife partnered up with North American Deer Talk. We're incredibly grateful for that. If you get a, a chance or an opportunity, say thank you to them. And the reason is really simple. They have 30 years of commitment to all natural probiotics. This commitment's really a passion for them. And they've established that through university research at Texas Tech. Whether that be their fawn paste, their top score product, their show choice, farm pack, all the various products they have, they really provide a service and a set of products that helps your herd thrive. Give Sadie a call over there at CNE and uh, order up some good stuff. We think you'll like it. We know we do. We've been uh, product users for almost 15 years now. Um, we feel it's the best around. So get you some CNE wildlife today. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of North American Deer Talk. It is episode 55, and I have Mr. John True, president of the Texas Deer Association. John, how are you today? I'm great, Josh. Thanks for having me. It appreciate is good. It. Yeah, absolutely. I, I appreciate you coming on. And uh, I, I look forward to uh, discussing some of the, the topics of the day in, in Texas. I am kind of insulated here up in uh, northern Pennsylvania. So this is a, a treat for me as far as uh, looking at how other associations interact with regulatory agencies with their their membership and the, all the things that you guys have going on. Um, I want to start with your annual conference because I know that um, it's a big event. I enjoy coming down. I think I've been doing oh five or six years uh, steady anyway, uh, coming down and, and getting to rub elbows with you guys. And of course, I've been called a Yankee once or twice, which is okay. And I'll, I'll wear that with my, uh, my badge right. of honor with you, Texas boys. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Um, give us, give us a little update on, uh, on the, on the conference and, you know, what you guys do and maybe some details of, of sure. when it is, et cetera. We're excited. It's August 11th through 13th. Um, you know, as you know, in the world that we've been in, we had, you know, we had a year of COVID, which, which caused us to cancel our convention. And then we had last year's, um, issues of CWD in Texas that really affected our, our, you know, gatherings, uh, if you will. And, and so we're we're expecting record attendance this year, and we're we're at the JW Marriott San Antonio, great family place, water park, restaurants, golf, everything you you could think of. Um, great place to bring the family. We've got um, all, both of our events. We have two events every year, and and it's the the general um, schedule is the same. We have we have our what we call our select sale on Friday night, followed by a pack sale to raise money for our pack fund, and then Saturday will be our superior sale followed by some donation items. But uh, during the days, uh, we've got different seminars that we're, that we're excited about to bring to our members and, and they involve Dr. Chris Seabury, Dr. Luke Duckworth. Uh, we'll have a legislative panel we're working on right now with a lot of the um, uh, members of, uh, at, at the Capitol that will come on, on the House and Senate side. Um, to just give a small presentation and just introduce themselves to our members. Um, we'll have a NADAR board meeting every Friday morning of, of that event um, is our NADAR board meeting, at, which is open to the public. And um, so we, we're, we're excited. You know, we've, uh, I'm sure we'll talk about it in a little bit, but Kevin Davis is our new executive director and we'll, we'll want to make sure we introduce him to everyone. And, and we've, you know, our office staff, any, any changes and updates, we have some new faces and some familiar faces back. Um, we have CC Wallace back on our, 
uh, on our, our team again. And so just letting people kind of re-engage with them. Um, Kevin has done an outstanding job, you know, uh, out getting sponsorships and everything ready for the convention. And so uh, we're excited. It's going to be a fun time. Now you had, you had mentioned Kevin, um, and obviously that's a, a, a new position that you guys needed to get filled. Um, sorry, old position, new gentleman in the right. position. Um, give us give us a little bit of uh, context around kind of how that came to be and, and um, right. uh, you know, where, where you are today. Yeah, so, you know, the last, the last year and a half has been a, a whirlwind um, in Texas, for sure. I, I, um, I stepped into the as president in February of 21. Um, and we had an outgoing executive director. Um, and so that was kind of the thought of, of getting, getting together and let's, let's have an executive director committee and we'll we'll go find, we'll go find the perfect person. And, and so we decided to give it a few weeks after our event in February and, and get going because we were in legislative session. And so it was busy. And, and then, you know, the, every, all these bad dominoes started falling on March 23rd and 24th. You know, we had two of our oldest breeders uh, go down with positive CWD animals uh, on their farms, um, which led to countless interactions with farms who had trace out animals and, at the end of the day, um, we ended up having six CWD positive farms uh, in the state leading up to our convention last year. And it wasn't the best time to, be, to go out and hire an executive director. So it just kept put, you know, pushing it back and back. Um, one thing led to another. We had a, a, legis a special legislative hearing in September. Um, and then we, I guess I'll back up. We, had, we went under emergency order in June um, along the way. And then we had this legislative hearing in September. The emergency rules became permanent rules in December and November, November 4th of 21. Um, the next day, we found out there was a national shortage of staining reagent to run these tests that we were required to now take. And so it was just a, a very troubling time, uh, busy time uh, in Austin every week, multiple days each week. Um, and so really it wasn't until this, you know, uh, early this year where the dust settled enough to really focus on it enough. And Kevin um, has been a great uh, ally over the last year and a half for me personally and for our industry. Um, he spent 25 years at Parks and Wildlife. Um, he retired in August of 20, I believe. And his, he, at the, his rank was Assistant Director of Law Enforcement. Um, he brings so much to uh, to us to our industry and to me personally he's he's been a great friend um and someone to experience the last year and a half of life with um but kevin is a, a number one a great person great level-headed leader um and it's who we need it's that's when we sit down um with anybody at the capitol we we've had a a pretty tough image at at the capitol um over you know over the last 15 or 20 years and and just getting um, being taken seriously, I guess, by uh, a lot of the, the people there, representative senators, has been a challenge and something that's been um, that Kevin and I feel like we've made a lot of progress in the last year and a half. So, so much of that, there's so much um, help that can be, that's the only way you can really affect some change is, is down there at the Capitol. And, and so uh, Kevin has fit, has filled that role for us. As I mentioned, he's, you know, getting ready for this convention has been awesome. I mean, he is, he is, I think we have 
definitely in the last few years, a record number of, of sponsors um, that have signed up to support our organization. And so very thankful, blessed to have Kevin, you know, by my side through all this. That's great. Um, so you mentioned the, you know, 20, 25 years with uh, Parks and Wildlife. What, what do you think that uh, that brings to the table? Like, what are some advantages of, of having someone that has that sort of uh, background and experience for an association like yours? Just, you know, knowing how the system works, um, you know, his, his biggest, when he was there, he, he was tasked with, you know, the, the responsibility of, of trying to establish a better working relationship with deer breeders, um, because it's, it's always been a, it's, it's been a, a, a troubling part. We have, you know, you hear a lot of hearsay of different interactions with, with, uh, game wardens and deer breeders and just establishing protocols. It's the same. It's very similar to what we're trying to, um, get work on and get done right now is just, you know, protocols of what, 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 what's supposed to happen, you know, when you know, we have to have annual inspections, um, you know, he got, you know, you know, instead of just showing up unannounced at, you know, 11 at night, um, let's give, you know, he was able to get, you know, we have to have like, you know, two weeks notice now to give to landowners and it needs to work for both parties, you know, and a lot of that stuff ties in as far as what he brings, uh, protocols, you know, over the last year and a half, I've seen, I, the lack of protocol in place of what happens if and when CWD hits a deer breeder, you know, and, and it's a, it's just a terrible death sentence that happens. And I think Kevin having the, um, the experience that he's had through his life and, and, and through his work um, brings a lot to the table there. And I, I think, you know, that's stuff that he, that's, he and I talk about daily of just trying to work on a protocol uh, a, a new protocol, if you will, of, of what happens. Um, we've got all of this, you know, science out there behind us um, with live testing even. And, and you know, we, we feel like there needs to be a new protocol for what happens if when CWD hits. And, and I think Kevin's the, a, a great person to have um, representing our industry to get that done. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's good to hear, you know, I, when I think about just my interactions over the years of how I've dealt with regulators and or legislators, but mostly regulators, um, having someone from the other side that has a, a deep understanding of, of my needs is really beneficial, right? And then when that person's articulating um, your vision, uh, that, that's helpful, right? Like where you, sure. can, you can hopefully make some headway um, to positively affect the members in your, your association. So it's, it's good to hear. I'm glad that, um, I'm glad that that relationship was established for you guys. And, you know, I, I hope, uh, I hope he does, does well for you. I look forward to meeting him, uh, certainly here in, in August. So you bet it's, you know, he's, he's been a, he's been in a tough spot because he's, you know, there's people on both sides that, you know, he, he, people at parks and wildlife are like, Oh, he's over with the breeders now. And then there's people at the breeders going, Oh, he's experts of wildlife. We don't, you know, so he's, all I can say is he's, he's, He's the best person for the job right now, and, and he, I'm so blessed to have him with me. It's awesome. I think the uh, I think the adage is is like, if uh, if both sides are mad at you, you must be doing something right or something like that. Right. You know. Right. Um, <laughs> um, so you had mentioned a little bit of that regulatory timeline. I'd like to just revisit that if if we could, and just kind of systematically walk through the past year and a half or so, so we get a good baseline. Sure. Uh, to work from. I, I have one question before we do that. 
Can you, can you just tell me like, so I know that um, you kind of have this um, bifurcated regulatory status in the state where you have some parks and wildlife and some animal health interactions. What does that look like? Cause I'm not familiar with that. Like, how do you, well, like, I don't, I don't get it. Don't talk to me. Like right. I don't, like I'm five. Well, it used to be, it used to be a lot more complex because, you know, as I've mentioned, going to the Capitol um, and meeting with a senator or a representative and trying to explain to them who we are and what we do um, before, before the emergency rule or before the rule, new rules in November, um, it was very complex because it used to be Parks and Wildlife was you had to test 80% of your mortality 16 months and older, right? And there was, and then, you know, if you were in the animal health HCP federal program, it was 100% of 12 months and older. Mm -hmm. And so trying to explain that number one to people was, was very, you know, complex and confusing. Um, so I'd say now uh, I, I, it's a lot more consistent. Um, so Parks and Wildlife basically just raised everything they had, their testing parameters to, to be in line with what animal health or, or the HCP federal program was, um, which just brings in, you know, the HCP program has always been a voluntary program. Um, and it's, you know, it's getting the reasons for, there are the benefits for being in it are, are getting a lot smaller and smaller um, as we're seeing every day. But it used to be, you know, we, we have in Texas, you know, dating back to 2016, uh, we went, you know, we went from ha only having to test from Parks and Wildlife 20% of our mortalities to 80% over a period of a few months when our first CWD happened in deer pens. But um, we also went under this minimum mortality. We, you know, back in 2016, we went under a, a rule that said you have to lose at least 3.6% of your herd a year, which, you know, they, Parks, they have kind of a Wizard of Oz behind the behind the net, but, but they basically came out and said that a deer farmer should lose 4.5% of their herd each year mm. and 80% of the, of 4.5 is 3.6. So we, until last year, we were under a rule that, that you had to have a minimum 3.6% mortality in your pens. And if you didn't meet that, you would, you could utilize live testing at a three to one makeup. So if you had a hundred deer, everything rounds up, you were supposed to lose four deer. If you only lost one, then you owed them three dead deer times three, that's nine live tests. And so that's how kind of complex we were. Hmm. Um, November 4th of 21, um, we had new rules basically given to our industry. And that meant that meant the 80% went away. Now it's 100% and the 16 months went to 12. So all that's in line with the HCP program, Animal Health. Um, the 3.6 minimum went to five, five percent, and the makeup antemortem testing went from three to one to five to one. So it's just a way to get more and more added surveillance uh, from our industry. You know, we had we had hoped that the statistical confidence, you know, um, provided by those increased testing parameters if you if you know if you looked at that on paper it's a it's a significant increase of testing would suffice um, and and not have to have a mandatory live testing requirement mm -hmm. um, but it didn't and we also have that and so we we have all those um, requirements that's on post-mortem surveillance in your pens um, but we also now have a, a rule that states that any animal moved from 
pinned to pasture has to have a not detected antemortem test done, either rectal or a tonsil biopsy. Um, with the also, you know, and that animal has to be minimum age for testing is six months old. And so, you know, it basically means you can't turn out any fawns. You have to wait till they're six months to test them. Um, you have to get that result back. Um, basically, it completely strained the system. Our own, our own surveillance in Texas has caused a nationwide shortage of the staining reagent. Um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, we, you know, we went under this rule on November 4th of 21. And November 5th, the next day, we were notified that they, did, they ran out of staining reagent to even run the test. And so, you know, it's, it's been a, it's been uh, just a disaster from that time, from the time standpoint, we've got a, um, a backlog at TVMDL, the, te the testing lab uh, in College Station. And we have, you know, at, at the height, I think we had 12,000 samples sitting there um, on the shelf. They can run about a thousand a week. Mm -hmm. um, and so, it, you know, we went from, we didn't talk about it earlier, but the, the main culprit of the 21 issue, 2021 issue we had in breeding pens was because one of our breeders was banking samples legally. It wasn't illegal to do that. He would take a sample and keep it on the shelf until March when his renewal was up and right. turn it, turn them in and, and get, and hope, you know, not detect the results. Well, one of them came back that it died in September. And so that was, that was, you know, it was, it showed how, how awful that was you, mm -hmm. you know, to bank samples you're allowed that guy's legally allowed to stay open he didn't know he had a cwd positive animal sure. and so he you know it, it ended up shipping a couple of you know infected animals off the place so that was a problem and that's why we, we went under new rules and so now you know we're the state is effectively banking samples we've got you know it takes 12 weeks to get results now um it's ridiculous we've we've had two different um emergency orders to you know that have been placed to help our industry move animals um, because results weren't back yet and so um, it's an ongoing struggle and something that we we're working on every day it's um, you know I, I think we move a lot of animals from pen to pasture in the state of Texas and to date I think we've tested since June 22nd of 21 I think we've tested close to 35,000 animals um, all negative, all not detected CWD results. We mm -hmm. are continuing to prove every day that that our animals are safe, um, that there's not any issues with you know deer pens in, in the state. So I, there's a lot there for, for me to comment on, but I'm 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 gonna refrain. Um, obviously, super frustrating with the um, capacity of of testing uh, at the uh, at the vet lab. How, how is that being uh, dealt with? Like, it, I mean, obviously, like, anybody can make any rules they want, right? But without the, the kind of foresight to say, hey, like, we're going to have a massive influx of, of tests coming on that we've now mandated these, these folks to do, um, we don't want to hurt their businesses, right? So we're going we're gonna to make sure that the resources are available to have that, that testing capacity it's been going on for nine months. Any word from anyone saying, Hey, we, we've bought additional stain. We've hired new staff. We've like, what's going on there. 
Well, to get ready for, you know, on June 22nd is when we went under emergency rule, which which required the first time it ever required live tests prior to movement. And TVMDL, you know, went out, they had three staining machines at that time. They went out and bought two more okay. um, to, to understand, you know, every year on average, we move, you know, we're in Texas, it's a little different. We, we, we're required to, um, the last day we can move a buck with antlers on is 10 days prior to season. Generally speaking, season starts October one, so roughly by you know September twentieth every year, we're done moving bucks. And so every year there's a there's a huge rush of of animals leaving pens going to release sites. And so um, I think they had they had you know budgeted time, you know numbers wise for you know twelve thirteen thousand samples to come in between June twenty second and and roughly September fifteenth and. Yeah that's about what we did. We did about 12,000, a little more than 12,000 tests. Um, they also hired four more histopath technicians, um, to kind of help, you know, put the samples together and run them. Um, and that's, what's happening now is, is they've, they've got, you know, four new people have started within the last week or two weeks, and they've got, uh, four other permanent job postings out there. So, there, it, it's really been a shortage of staff more than anything. I mean, the the, the staining reagent, um, there was a national shortage of that for a, about a month, um, from you know early from November fifth to about December second, I think, um, where that was a, that was the culprit. Um, but since then, every you know the world we're, we're in now, it's you know, COVID runs runs its course through the lab, or yeah. you know they just don't have people that are employed. Um, running the sample so hopefully that'll change it's it's a it's a very frustrating thing it, you know our, our new rules that went into place on on november 4th carry a three-year sunset uh, uh period on that so it'll it'll be re revisited um three years later and and hopefully by then knock on wood you know we, we continue to kind of keep these uh, test results in our in our quiver and you know it only helps us kind of speak for strength um, yeah, I obviously like, you know, having 35,000 live tests, you know, over the past, you know, call it year, um, you know, with no new positives certainly speaks to the, you know, the number one, the level of testing that guys are doing, but um, also that, you know, these, these folks have these operations and that the, the management that takes place there uh, is working, right? Like, like, we're, you know, these, these, uh, for lack of a better term, you know, these deer facilities are, are, are not like whipping up CWD out of the air and then spreading it around. Right. Like this is, this is a, we know it's a deer issue. Um, doesn't matter if there's a yep. fence there or not. And, um, you know, you, I think it's great that you guys have all those, those tests to say, look, like no one else is doing this. Like we're doing it's. You're right. It's yeah, a, a big, a big, you know, frustration on our end is just the lack. We're the only entity that has required testing for CWD in the state. Um, no one else is, is mandated to test for it. And if you really look at our, our inventory and pens, we have about 85,000 deer and deer pens right now. We've tested 35,000 of them in the last nine months. Um, outside of deer pens, there's 5.7 million deer in the state of Texas. And they test about 13 to 14,000 a year, mostly roadkill. Um, so it's, it's a, it's, it's bizarre how, how, you know, different it is and, and how more people don't realize that, but it's, yeah. you know, we're, we're proving up that our deer are safe. 
Yeah, no, no doubt. Not, uh, you know, I think it, it, it again highlights the, the care in which people take care of their, their animals. And they, I mean, I don't know any, um, any deer rancher that wants chronic wasting disease, right? Like, we're not like, Hey, yeah, we want that stuff. Um, if anything, they're, they're taking all these steps. And of course we're, we're working on developing best practices as an industry and really looking at risk assessments. I know there's some studies on a federal level, um, through like cooperative agreement dollars and stake stakeholder, uh, initiatives to, to look at these things that ultimately like can, can help our facilities out, um, so that's, that's a great thing. I, I want to jump into some of the, um, you touched on some of the specifics of, of what we have today. Walk us through like what it looks like for just maybe an operation like yours, right? Um, the, the basics of the testing, the movement, any, any kind of those specific things that you have to follow. Like, I guess that's all part of that emergency rule. Right. So, you know, our anti-mortem requirement carries with it a, a value, if you will, of eight months of okay. timing. So if I, if I test an animal today, it's not, you know, it's not eight months from when I get my results. It's from eight months from when I took that sample. That's how long that, that, uh, anti-mortem test is valid, that not detected test result is valid. Um, and so it's, you know, that's, we don't want to have to live test before movement anyway. I mean, it, that's kind of, that's talking point number one. I mean, it, it is as ridiculous as, as it is. Um, we've got, we, we've got, like if we, we have an attached release site to our pens and just to move that deer, open up a gate and let it run out to a release site where we've been releasing deer for 20 years, we now have to have a live test on that animal. It's, it makes no sense. Um, but that being said, it's, you know, having the ability to plan for it um, has been a easier to swallow. Last summer was tough. I mean, on June 22nd, you tell an industry that's going to move 12,000 bucks that they've got to have a live test back um, before we move that animal. That's tough. Mm -hmm. And so and it's the worst time. As you know, you've got bucks that are, you know, a third grown out. Yep. It's hot. And, you know, we're, we're telling people last year, count on six weeks to get test results so that means you got to have the test done by the end of july to move these animals and yes. so that i mean that that all happened from like june 22nd to august 1 we tested twelve thousand bucks and you know we, we can't pull that sample ourselves we're these bucks you're not able to you're not running them through the squeeze chute so you got added expense of of you know tranquilizing the animals um bringing in a, a certified vet to pull the samples um, it's, it's a very cumbersome deal and it's very hard on the animals. I mean, to, to knock an animal down anytime is you'd rather not do that when it's a hundred degrees outside, it was brutal. And so, you know, we, I don't know that we've totally quantified that number, but even if you, even if you lost four to 5%, that's a lot of animals, um, that were, that, that you lost for really no reason. Um, and so, you know, I, having, our first full year of that, like I tested our bucks, uh, January 17th, that gives me eight months. You know, I, by, by the time the end of our, uh, you know, movement, uh, timeline is up, I, I, you know, those, those live tests will be good and I, and I'll be able to move all those animals. So it gave us a chance to do it. You know, they weren't, they, they still hadn't dropped, you know, their cut off their, their birds or whatever. And, and, uh, and so it gave us time to do that. And then the does, 
the same thing. I mean, the more the more planning you can have to do that live testing, the better. Keeping in mind, you only have eight months um, of value on that. So, you know, it gives you the option of, I, I pulled a lot of does in, in January. I pulled some more in early March um, that we that we were turning out or selling. So um, being able to plan for it's better, but it's, it's still, it, you know, we, we would love to not have to even have to live test prior to movement. Sure. No, that makes perfect sense. And I can, I've handled a lot of deer in my days and I, I understand that the, uh, you know, the, first off, we're talking about an animal health procedure, right? And with, you know, last year, like that's not healthy for the animal. No, no, no part of what you just said to me about testing between June 22nd and August 1st is healthy for that animal at all. It is so brutal, and it and it, it it's counterproductive. Mood. It is the the other day, a couple of weeks ago. I you know I, I tested some some girls on March second, as I mentioned. We didn't have the results, but I got those results on May thirteenth, <laughs> um, and that was that was when we were that was considered quick, I think. Um, but two of those fifteen girls came back with insufficient follicles, and so what does that mean? It, well, you can request a recut of that sample. Well, I did that, and they said, yeah, it's still not good, and yep. so. That means I've got to retest them, and so we did it a couple of weeks ago, and and uh, we were able to to do those girls in the shoot because they've got babies on them, you know, and yeah. we ran them in, and it is a, it's a brutal process, and it, and it and it I was I was not very happy that day. Uh, just putting your these animals, we love them, and yeah. they mean they mean so much to us, and to put them through that that pain and and you know suffering, it's it's brutal. Sure. Um... I, it's, it's so, uh, you know, I'm, so this is like really the first time that I'm hearing about these types of regulations because the regulatory environment where, where you're at is certainly different than, than ours. And there's nuances here and there. And, you know, generally speaking, uh, CWD is a, is an emotional issue, um, for, for everyone. But when you hear the story, like you're explaining to me, um, it, it just, I, I, it's, it stirs something inside of me that makes me upset. Right. And, mm. and you just say, look, there's gotta be a way, there's gotta be a, a different way to do this. Um, right. and I, I think that, uh, the industry has some technology that's really starting to, to come along. Um, do you want to talk about some of the genetic work that's been done in, in Texas, um, you know, using, uh, various, um, uh, genomic analysis? Sure. Uh, Dr. Seabury's, um, research is is so interesting to me i think you know as as we've uh, i think i you know you know geographically speaking um we're fairly close to one of the positive farms that had happened in 21 and so i it's something to me that i really take serious i i think every time that there is there is a cwd occurrence there's always kind of the next silver bullet um scenario that's out there and this is the first time I've, I've really looked at something saying that's, that's a long lasting, that's a way to really beat this um, and, and put yourself in a position to, to have less susceptible animals of getting this. And it's, as, as I've thought more about it, it's, you know, it's so important about exposure. Um, and if I'm somewhat close to a facility that has had a CWD positive animal, you know, that, that CWD could be transferred over from a buzzard or for a raccoon or, you know, it, it, there's a lot of different vectors when sure. you start thinking about how it could be spread. And so I'm going to take it serious. And I, and I have, I've really enjoyed 
um, talking with Dr. Seabury. Um, you know, a lot of it still to this day. I mean, it's it's hard. I, I kept telling him, you know, when he when he spoke to our industry in February, it's like, hey, let's dumb it down a little bit. Um, you know, and, and it's very hard. You know, he's he's a, a brilliant guy, and um, but I I think it's fascinating, and I'm taking it serious. I've I've started looking, as you know, it, it talks about you know it deals with Codon 96 and the GEBV value, um, and I'm. I've just, I've kind of changed. It's a, it's a whole new shuffling of the deck. And, and I, I think, you know, part of, um, I got into this as a hobby in 1998 um, mm-hmm. and didn't know what I was doing. Didn't know, you know, breeding a brown deer to a brown deer. And, and it really wasn't until I, I was introduced through uh, Chris McSpadden, who, who was with the refuge back in the day, um, he changed my life as far as the genetic side of things and, and visualizing it through GMS and just seeing how that really played out. It was fascinating to me. And I, and I, and I, I, I dove straight in. I, and that's, that's kind of look up now. It's been 20 something years mm-hmm. um, and things have changed so much, you know? And so I, it changed my way of thinking then just like this GVV stuff is changing it now. It's a, it's a total um shuffling of the deck of what value is of what what an animal is is not not necessarily worth but breeding like what's it worth on the breeding side of things um and you know you, you're you I, I like listening i've listened to his his podcast with you and, and my favorite term that he uses is decision paralysis um on these gbvs because i've i've lived it and, and i've I totally understand what he's you know i'd I'd rather like cover up. I've got an Excel spreadsheet that I keep all my info on. And yeah. <laughs> I just want to, I want to cover up your tags and just look at, look at GBVs and code on 96, you know, and, and it's because if you do that, then you'll make the right decisions. When yeah. you start looking at those ear tags, oh man, that's, that's so-and-so. And, and so I, I've made, um, I've made some really tough decisions in the last six months, at least yeah. um, just on animals that, that I'm not going to keep in the pens anymore. And they, they might be the mother to one of, one of our breeder bucks. Um, they might be a sister. They might be um, a girl that has produced countless bucks that have, that have, you know, had to look or whatever, but I can't, I can't afford to keep them in there. Um, if, if they're, you know, if, if I can't, you know, you can breed certain animals up if you have enough time. Right. And, and I just, I pray, I pray we have enough time to kind of shift um, our, our inventory of animals. Um, and it's been, it's been fun. I, I didn't know, um, any of our does, uh, adult does, uh, scores or code on in for, you know, the, uh, code on 96 information at the time of AI. Um, I knew all of our bucks, so I knew which bucks to kind of go heavy on. And, yeah. um, and I had the last two years fawns information. So I could, I could pretty much figure out which does were, you know, had, had, uh, desirable traits in there. Um, and so I bred them, I, you know, I, I did it the best I could to kind of find, I, I kind of gambled on a couple of bucks that I thought that hadn't been tested yet. Um, I did, I, I was, I was rewarded on one of those. The other one, I was like, eh, I mean, it's, you know, um, it's just one of those things. And, and I, I will tell you going forward, I will not, I will not breed a, a, a buck. I won't, you know, unless it lines up the right way and, and it provides what I need. Um, on those on those girls it's um, I think that's that's 
one of my favorite things about this business has been the pedigree side of things, building what I thought in my mind was the perfect female, right? Sure. That you could breed so many bucks to. And I, so I think that it's just kind of a new assignment now. It's, it's now it's, let's, I want to breed the perfect female that had, that checks all these boxes. And, and now I've just added, you know, a couple more boxes to it, you know, make sure that it's an SS and make sure that it's got a breeding value north of a negative, you know, point zero, you know, 0 0.3 or something, you know, mm -hmm. something that's, that's very achievable and it's going to take a little time to get there, but I'm fascinated by it. And I'm, and I'm really excited to, to kind of roll up my sleeves and, and keep going on it. Obviously with uh, Dr. Seabury kind of being, you know, home, home state for you guys, um, you know, you can, you can interact with him, um, you know, on a more, more regular basis. Uh, obviously T TDA is, is uh, supportive of that, that uh, research that he's doing. And, and uh, how do you think the, uh, the membership is, is kind of taking in um, that information? I know it's, it's a slow process for everyone to kind of come along and everybody's, you know, working through the data and the information that's provided, but you, you feel like you're getting good feedback from, from membership on these types of things. I do. I, you know, it's, it's definitely, it's going to take a little time. Um, as I mentioned, you know, the kind of the shuffling of the deck on value, um, it changes some things, you know, there might be some, there might be a buck or there might be a doe out there that, that might not score very well, or, you know, it, and it just, it's going to take some time. It doesn't mean you can't breed that animal. It's just, you need to make sure that who you breed it to is, is going to, you know, kind of, you know, uh, answer the other issues that it has. But, you know, I, I think it's, it's that what fascinates me about it is, is it's an answer. It's this, you know, we talk about the lack of a protocol from parks, man, what a, what an amazing tool to have that we could, that you could, you know, have a light at the end of the tunnel for a breeder. Um, if and when CWD ever hit in the, you know, currently you have one option, you know, you, you apply for federal indemnity, hope you get it, hope there's money left in the indemnity, they come kill all your animals, you, you go to a different profession, you know, and, and it's awful and your, and your land has, carries the stigma with it and it's, it's just brutal, you know, they, they kill everything you have and um, even if they're healthy. Um, and so if you have something in place that is a, that is a new protocol going forward, that, in, that it involves live testing, you know, that involves seabury research using different hurdles in there that gives a breeder, you know, that breeder, his animals, if they don't test well, he might want to choose indemnity and, and, but giving him option, you know, two and showing him another door to say, here's an opportunity to, to have, to stay in this business long-term. And you know, utilize live testing, utilize GBV, you know, numbers uh, going forward. How can that not be a positive? And I think at, at the end of the day, we continue to show um, the regulatory agencies that that we're serious about this disease, that we don't want CWD in our pens, and we're selling animals that go out to the landscape of Texas to these private ranches that are high fenced. And if we, if at the end of the day, we're sell, we're we're stocking ranches with with deer that are uh you know i won't say resistant but less susceptible to cwd that's a win-win big win um so anyway we're excited about it that's great to hear. Long road. yeah it is and 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 i can i can certainly appreciate the the time and effort that goes into you know obviously educating yourself on it but but the work you do and in uh 
you know, telling, telling membership about these different types of options. And of course you guys have a very large membership. So it's, it's certainly have uh, all sorts of personalities that, that play a part in that. But um, sure. before we, we wrap up any, any closing words um, that you have before we, we say adios. No, I, I appreciate the time and appreciate the invitation to be on here. I, I, I'm a longtime listener for sure. Um, and I think, you know, programs like this do such a great job of, of what we've done so poorly for our 15 plus years, which is not really get in front of kind of the PR side of things and explain who we are and what we do. And, and I, it's so important. So thank you for getting the word out and continuing to to, uh, to put this show out. It's uh, It's been fun. Well, I appreciate those kind words. I, uh, I tell everybody I do this for selfish reasons because I get to get the insight right from the horse's mouth. So I appreciate you coming on, right. John. Thank you. You bet. Thank yep. you. And with that, stay tuned for another episode of North American Deer Talk.